Father, we want to make this about you, and we want to exalt you this morning. And speak through me, Holy Spirit. Empower me to edify your church and to bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take a seat if you would. Sort of new sermon series. I can sound really, really smart and you say the word ecclesiology. <clears throat> and you look at me like you're speaking a foreign language, which really I am. But that's is the word for the church. And we're going to talk about churches and spend some time looking at kind of what is the definition of the church, the nature of the church, what the church should be doing, and so on and so forth. But I wanted to begin with talking about this. I've done this before a while ago, but let's test your knowledge. And here are some famous churches. You guys recognize this church? Anybody? It's not Notre Dame. This is, I'm going to butcher this, Sagrada Familia, is that how you say it? Or the Holy Family Church. It's located in Barcelona, Spain. It's a Roman Catholic church. Its construction began in 1882. Uh, the church is designed to honor Jesus' family with the towers that you can see in the picture there, representing him, his mother, and the four evangelists. And of course, who are the four evangelists? I think it was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I think is what they would say, and the 12 apostles. However, it remains incomplete. But why is that? This is because uh, it's gigantic size, which means that in the time taken to complete building the original plan, the earliest construction would need to be renovated. So the process would be never ending. Okay? Now, this isn't an easy one. What's this one? Who knows this one? Who thinks they know this one? Raise your hand. Really? You don't know this? This, this is an iconic. It is St. Basil, St. Basil's Cathedral. It's located in Moscow, uh, the capital of Russia. And it marks, ironically, the exact center of the city. Okay. You know why it's in the exact center of the city? Because the church was always supposed to be, God's always supposed to be the center of life. Okay. It was completed, anyone want to guess? 1561, under the reign of Ivan the Terrible, which translated into Greek means Jacob Stuffelbein before the age of 18. He was a difficult, his name is Ivan in, in Russia, and he was, uh, today's his birthday too, so I'm going to give him a hard time. Um, but the legend held that Ivan the Terrible, remember this? He blinded the architect so that he could not recreate the masterpiece elsewhere. Now, do you recognize this church building? This is the Notre Dame Cathedral, Judy. Okay. Where is this located? Anybody want to know? You should know this. It's in Paris. Exactly. Central Paris. Built between 1163 and 1345. It's listed as one of the largest religious buildings <coughs> excuse me, in the world. It has a Gothic design with its twin towers that go as high as 69 meters, and it has 387 steps. It also houses in the south portion of this building a 13-ton bell. 13 tons. 
This is a little bit deceiving picture, but it's very well known. What is this? It doesn't look like it, but it is it. It's one of the most popular landmarks to tour in London. What is that building? That's Westminster Abbey. Formed by the Benedictine monks during the 10th century, and it established a tradition of daily worship. Uh, the current Westminster Abbey, we've been there, by the way, it's, it's fascinating to go there, um, was started by Henry III in 1245 and considered one of the most important Gothic buildings of the country. It has been the coronation church for the British monarch, you want to take a guess? Since 1066. 1066. Now, my favorite church is this next one right here. You want to guess what this one? I didn't know this one, but it, it, it regularly popped up in my search of top uh, churches. Excuse <coughs> me. That is the Shrine of Our Lady of Las Lajas, L-A-J-A-S, is that how you say that? Located in Colombia. Uh, it's become a must-see in South America, both for pilgrims and everyday tourists. Its history as a pilgrimage site, it predates the current church that you see here, because in 1754, the Virgin Mary purportedly appeared to two indigenous women seeking shelter during a storm, but construction of what you see here in this neo-Gothic church began in 1916, it was completed in 1949. Why do I like this church so much? It has nothing to do with the building, it's the location. Isn't that pretty? Now, one of the most recognizable design for churches, and I, Lord knows I've had enough experience with that, with, and I'll get to that in a moment, um, just across the United States, but particularly in the Northeast region, is this design for a church right here. You guys recognize that design? <clears throat> this church, by the way, is First Church UCC. It's a congregational church in Sandwich, Massachusetts. Anybody hungry? <clears throat> This was founded in 1638 under the Plymouth Colony Charter in the Mayflower <coughs> excuse me, Compact. It was the church home to actual Mayflower pilgrims. Sadly, it is now a, a, a very liberal church. It's what we would call an open and affirming church. Now, why am I opening this sermon on the church looking at buildings. Well, very simply, my reason for doing so is, is this. If you type in in your computer or your phone or your tablet, what is the church? You will find a link to buildings, and particularly to a space called gotquestions.org, which is a, it's a good uh, site to go to. And here is what they say on their website about what is the church. Many people today understand the church as a building. This is not a biblical understanding of the church. The word church is a translation excuse me, of the Greek word ecclesia, which is defined as an assembly or called out ones. That's why I said ecclesiology is the study of the church. The root meaning of the church is, that, is not that of a building, but of people. It is ironic that when you ask people what church they attend, they usually identify a building. 
Where do you go to church? I go to First Baptist on 3rd Street, right? Or I go to Bible Chapel on R Street. Okay. <laughs> this next picture, this will bring back memories. I remember when this picture was taken. This was the church that God brought me to Grable, Indiana to help get built. Okay, this is a, was Grable Evangelical Midnight Church. It is now Crossview Church. It was Crossview Church when I got there. And you can see it's a, a little bit of a different design than the traditional New England-style church, the chapel. This is a newer design, okay? I was called, amongst other things, to pastor Crossview Church because it was all, now hear me on this, all about the building. I mean, the ecclesiology of the church, um, whether it was uh, intentional or not, it was all about the building because, let me give you some history here. Where this church is located, as you can see right here, there's a road right in front of this church, okay? Now we're talking about, mind you, Grable was what, 1,200, 1,500 people at the most? Not, not even a quarter, less than, I don't know what, maybe a thousand yards down the road on the other side of the street is a church called Grable Missionary Church. Right, if this is the, the road here, there's another road that shoots off in some, uh, some houses. This was the original Grable Evangelical Mennonite Church. When I started there in March 2009, this building didn't exist. I was at this older church that had been added on over the years. The history of this church is that it began in the late 1800s, and there was an inauspicious beginning, which most churches, unfortunately, have in common, is there was a split. Okay? They had at that time in history um, a bishops, even though it was a Protestant church, a bishop by the name by the name of Egley, Bishop Egley, there's a, a break-off, and they ended up founding that Grable Missionary Church that I told you about, okay? And they tried to reconcile back and forth, but from 1917, really, till 2009, okay, that's 93 years. Anyone want to take a guess at how many pastors they had? Someone said 10, someone said lots. 34. 34 divided by 93 is 2.7. That was the average tenure of a pastor at that church. So when they were having issues with me after we got to this building and everything and this older group was, wasn't happy and they tried to get rid of me, the denominational president came in and set them down and set them straight and said, you've had this many pastors over this many years. This church will not grow if you keep removing your pastors. And eventually they got rid of me. And when I left 2014, and now almost, well, nine years later, they've already gone through two more pastors. Okay? Or they're on their second one now. Now, that being said, I was hired, the church was about to split, to get them to their promised land, which was this land. They'd already raised $1.1 million, and that ended up being a $2.5 million building project in relocation. Um, it has everything you'd want in a church Okay, because you walk in those front doors, see those windows up here? Right up here? 
And right in here, this whole area right here is one big coffee shop, because that's what you want, right? That was the, the thing that you wanted to come in, you could get food and whatnot. This was a little inner sitting area, and it being also a children's area. This back area here was all offices. And then you see a Christmas tree right here. It looked great in, this, in the Christmas season. It was the, the, the worship center, which is also a gym. And then there was classrooms down here and empty space that we eventually turned into, or was eventually turned into more classrooms, okay? But that was the history of that church, and it was all about getting to the building because what they would notice is that when people would want to come visit Grable Evangelical Mennonite Church, they'd end up at Grable Missionary because it was on the main road. I joke, call it the main road, because you're talking about 1,200 to 1,500 people. You know, there's a lot more traffic that goes on over here, okay? And we ended up getting there, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a nice church. Great building, a lot of work that went into it. But it reinforced the idea that when you think of the church, people think of a building. Now, throughout history, uh, for some, the church is not about a building as much as it is a denomination. You've heard this before? In my lifetime, I've attended a, a charismatic church that met in a school. This was in uh, Rochester, Clarkston, Michigan. <clears throat> we attended church prior to that. I was like too young to remember anything about it. Uh, we moved to Louisiana, and of course we would attend what? A Southern Baptist church. Then another charismatic church that met in a school in Texas. Up to Ohio, a charismatic Presbyterian church. A Wesleyan church while I was at college. An independent church in Ohio. I served as an associate pastor in two charismatic reformed churches. One in Bowling Green and one in uh, Kirtland, Ohio. I was senior pastor of this church, an evangelical Mennonite church, and now I'm a senior pastor at Bible Chapel in Washington State, an independent, reformed, charismatic church. I guess would be the best way to describe this church. And by looking at the resume of the churches that I attended or served in, one would think that the church is not a group of people, but what? A denomination. Presbyterian, Wesleyan, Baptist, independent, Mennonite, all of these. Now, this false idea of a church was, was really evident, by the way, in the 40s and 50s, when denominations ruled the American church landscape. Um, did anyone ever see the 2017 movie? It's a World War II movie. It's, it, there's a lot of language in it, but it's a, a, a very good story. It's called the movie Fury. Okay. And the reason why I point it out is it's a movie about a World War II soldiers uh, that they served in a tank, and it really did a good job capturing the, um, the thinking of the time. Um, they had lost their gunner early on in the movie, and they needed a new one, and the Army didn't know what to do, so they sent this typist or his clerk to serve as a gunner in a tank. And it, his first interaction with the rest of the crew, they asked them this. This took me back because this was the way people thought and talked back then. They asked him, one of the first things they said, are you a praying man? And he says, and this is his response, I go to church. Now think about that for a moment. Are you a praying man? He says, I go to church. As if the only time you pray is when you what? Go to church. Exactly. And so he's locating everything with a building already. And he says this, which denomination are you? Episcopalian? 
And the guy kind of is quiet, kind of shakes his head, says, yeah, you're a mainliner. And he says this, are you saved? I mean, think about this. They never talk this way. They don't talk this way anymore, but this is how they talked back then. And the reason why they, they talked about this stuff, because they were facing death every day. And he said, watch this, are you saved? And he says, I'm baptized. <laughs> and that is, a, even to today, if we say, are you saved? Someone say, saved from what? Someone say, well, I've been baptized, because they think that in order to be saved, you have to be baptized, which is not true. In the way that you understand, we understand baptism. You are to be baptized, but it's not a condition for salvation. He says, that ain't what I ask you. Are you saved? And he doesn't know how to answer the guy. And he says, wait until you see it. And he says, see what? And he says, what a man can do to another man. So not only do we see this biblically inaccurate understanding of the church, I mean, going back even to the 40s, but you do a little research, and it tells us that Satan has distorted our understanding of the church for thousands of years. Now, here is what the early church said. You remember this verse? Jesus has just ascended. Uh, the day of Pentecost has happened. The Holy Spirit has fallen upon uh, the disciples. They've preached the gospel. 3,000 people have come to Christ. <clears throat> and this is what happened. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. So in other words, where did they meet? In homes. And they did it what? Day by day. And they shared meals together. Okay? It could be if they, if they did that actual, you know, if they did during that meal. Yeah, you don't have to do communion once a month. You can do it every day if you want to. They very well could have done that. They had, eventually, they, these things evolved into what were love feasts that you hear about in the first and second Corinthians. Okay. But anyways, the point was, was that the church wasn't a building because there were no buildings back then. They met from home to home. Okay. But when did this change? Because we don't think this way, do we? Well, specifically, and if you want to write this down, you can. I can give you the exact date of when this changed. October 28th, 312 A.D. The Battle of the Milvian Bridge. Remember this? Rome was up for grabs. Constantine I battled Maxentius. And even though Maxentius had a far superior armory, or army, uh, Constantine decided to swiftly attack the larger army. And he defeated Maxentius and claimed Rome. Now, why was Constantine victorious? Well, the night before this battle, remember this, Constantine saw a vision of a cross. And either on or under that cross, he saw the words, by this sign, conquer. And taking that as a sign that he'd be victorious, uh, Constantine engaged a far superior enemy and emerged victorious. 
Now, there were other things that were happening in the culture as well. Two emperors before Constantine, Gaius and Diocletian, severely persecuted the church, Christians. There was so much bloodshed that even the pagans were revolted by it. And it became unpopular to persecute and to take the lives of these innocent Christians. Satan also saw that when you persecute the church, what happens? It multiplies and grows. Exactly. And so Satan tried to kill the church. It backfired on him. So he said, I will try a different strategy. And the first thing he did is I'm going to make the church politically acceptable or politically correct. And so when Constantine became victorious through this vision of a cross, Rome adopted Christianity as its official state religion. And all of a sudden, those sect, this religious sect that was meeting in homes, had access to buildings. And who went to these homes? Very, very committed Christians, because it was a death sentence if you were caught. Now the doors are open for everybody. So guess who started coming to church? Pagans, politicians. And I don't know much, if there's much difference between pagans and politicians. <laughs> Unbelievers and believers. Okay? So the church, which for hundreds of years was persecuted, met in homes, had access to buildings, and eventually, I don't know exactly when this occurred, but this is what happened. This is what I call Constantine's structure. So not only did Satan attack the church in terms of making it popular, he attacked this structure of the church right here. And this has been unchanged really since this time. That people go to a building and we could say today people go to Bible Chapel. People in here are coming to Bible Chapel. It's a building. On a special day of the week, and someone does something to them or for them for a price. That structure has been within the church ever since I've known the church, right? Okay? Now, if you take this structure and go back here, it's different, isn't it? Very different. First of all, you see, what's, there's no food there, right? There's, it's, 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 if you're going to day by day share a meal and worship and, and, and be taught, that doesn't happen in an hour, right? No, this is quicker, Right? How many people are using their spiritual gifts right now at Bible Chapel? I am. <laughs> well, I'm saying that there's other people earlier today that were using their gifts. And I take it back. There are people back here that are using some of their gifts as well. But more people use their gifts in small groups from home to home. Someone was cooking a meal, someone was teaching. Okay? If we were a church of small groups, let's say there'd be five small groups. There'd be five teachers. Right now, you have one teacher. 
My point being is that with all of this structure, that the change that took place, we were kind of slow to recognize what was going on. And as early as the 1950s, uh, church leaders began to see that something was terribly wrong with the church. Uh, John Mott said this, <clears throat> this was, was said in 1950s, a multitude of laymen are today in serious danger. It is positively perilous for them to hear more sermons, attend more Bible classes in open forums, and read more religious and ethical works unless accompanying it all there be afforded day by day an adequate outlet for their newfound truth. In other words, we're gathering a lot of information. We are not applying it. Okay, now the results of this structural change were absolutely devastating to the church, and we've since then understood this, but church membership was redefined. You, the church, have become an audience. And even to an extent, you become an audience that in the, the, the last 20, 30 years an audience that has to be entertained. Uh, the term Christian was turned upside down. The church became a channel for the distribution of its resources to members rather than challenge the members themselves to become resources and then share their resources with others who would in turn take what they've learned and then share it with others. The church became an orphanage in one sense. The Dolphin's director feeds, okay? Uh, the church members then became, or the church became extremely limited in its ability to nurture new members, to apply spiritual power, to edify, to build up the body of Christ or the church, to train leaders, to take the gospel to the world. See, what do you mean by that? How many of you here have talked about the gospel outside of this parking lot in the last two years. There's not a whole lot. Okay? In the moment, and here's the, the key thing that we see a lot today, that a new believer uh, opened the door of a church. They stepped into a system that did not develop and cannot do anything but turn them into what I call a spiritual parasite, or a leech, a spiritual leech. They're just sucking and taking and taking and taking, and they're giving very little, if any, back to the real life and ministry of the church. We have a term for these, these people. They're called the consumer Christian. And they're the ones that hop from church to church to church because this church isn't meeting their needs. And they go to another place. This church isn't entertaining enough, and so on and so forth. So that has led to, over the years, and where we are now, let's bring it home. Well, where is the church today? Okay, and what is this, maybe the state of the church today? I'm going to show you another building. Anyone recognize this building? This is Willow Creek Community Church. Now, Willow Creek, and it's a, a, a portion of the size of this campus, Willow Creek Community Church was founded by Bill Hybels in 1975. I think it was Dave Colombo or Colombo. Anyways, they were the authors and, and began the, what is called the seeker-sensitive movement, if you're familiar with that phrase. And basically what they did was they wanted to do church in a different way, and they wanted to preach the gospel for sure, but also entertain. And so they would throw in their church services contemporary music, and do skits. Now, this was a model that we used in campus ministry, by the way, when I was in campus ministry. 
because we were, we were in a pagan environment trying to reach people, and our, our main meeting was more of a, we would do an announcement, we would do some songs, we would do a skit, and we would do a sermon. And it was all good teaching, don't get me wrong. But it was new to the, at least the American church landscape, and by 2015, the weekly attendance at Bill Creek was 25,000 people. Anyone ever been to Chicago O'Hare Airport? They have had, last time I was there, signs for Willow Creek Community Church because there was so many things going on there. Now, I don't know, it was in the late 90s, about 20 years into the ministry, that Bill Hybels realized that his seeker sense of motto didn't work, that he missed a purpose, and it was to make disciples. And so he made a shift from a seeker sense of model to a discipleship model. And they, being that large, made a strong push to small groups and to develop people's gifts and, and people serving the church and so on and so forth. However, on April 10, 2018, following allegations of sexual abuse, Bill Hybels announced his immediate early retirement as a senior pastor of the church. Now, I don't know a whole lot about this from what I've read other than the fact that there was, when you're that well-known, there are false accusations that can come at you. And there was one in particular that uh, this lady brought to the board of uh, Willow Creek saying that he had an affair with this lady, and it was wrong. Uh, they brought her before the elder board and uh, Bill and his um, wife, and the lady admitted I lied. But once that rumor starts, guess what happens? Now, there were other allegations that ended up being surfaced in uh, that this is all in light of the Me Too movement that seemed to indicate that there was some sort of sexual uh, misconduct by him. He admits that maybe he hugged people too long, okay? Which is why most of you, when I give you a hug, Don and I have talked about this, it's a side hug with this hand out there. Okay? Now, you take this scandal, and he stepped down. In February of 2020, Almost two years after these allegations, the church averaged 18,000 attendees, from 25,000 down to 18,000, okay? And it's at seven locations. In April 2020, the elder board of Willow Creek named Dave Dummett as the new senior pastor. What had happened by April 2020? COVID, okay? According to a church census released in 2023, at all the locations at Willow Creek Community Church, do you know what their weekly attendance is now? 7,700. From 2015, 25,000. At the end of 2023, 7,700. Other mega churches, this would be a mega church. By the way, uh, the mega church that you see here, they never existed until the 50s and 60s. Okay? Most churches were small like this. And that leads to what we see here in, in the United States, at least. I don't know if you can see this. I mean, it's as big as I could. There's been a decline in a church membership, or I call it a church attendance, really. This is 1938, if you can't see that. And that's 73% of people say, yeah, they're a member of a church. They attend regularly. You go all the way to 1998, it's at 70%. So roughly from 1938 to 19. 98, or roughly two, that's what, 60, 70 years, 60 years? Church attendance, church membership has stayed at about 70%. But look here now, from roughly around 1998 or 2000, now we're at 2018, 
gone from 70% down to what? 50%. Say that this is what, that they attend or are they a member of a church. That's a massive, massive drop. This is from April 28, 2019. Uh, U.S. church membership downs sharply in the past two decades uh, by the author Jeffrey Jones. Now, okay, but what about COVID-19 pandemic? Well, in a Pew Research article titled, How the Pandemic Has Affected Attendance at U.S. Religious Services uh, by Justin Nordy and Michael Rotolo, they say that more Americans indicate that their attendance habits have declined since COVID in terms of church than has risen. Um, it's a bit complicated because of November 2022, and the guys in the back can tell you more about this than I can, 20% say they are attending in person less often. But they're attending where, though? Online. Exactly. 15%. So they're participating in services virtually more often. But the share of U.S. adults who say they generally attend religious services once a month has dropped about 3% since 2019 to 2022. So roughly from 2000 till today, it's been a 23% or so drop in church attendance or membership. I mean, you can look around this building. Now, here's the thing. This is not just limited to the Protestant churches. Uh, my mother-in-law put me onto this. This is the only time I'll mention you're in a positive light from up front. <laughs> February 7th, 2024 article, and it was all, I didn't see it, but she mentioned it, and I looked it up, and it was everywhere. It's by Frank Sumrail, titled, Archdiocese of Seattle Announces Final Plan to Consolidate Catholic Parishes. This is what he wrote. The Archdiocese of Seattle recently announced its final plan that will see dozens of Catholic parishes in western Washington. This is just western Washington consolidate. It's nice to say dozens. Here's the real numbers. The consolidation will see 136 parishes become 60 parish families. And that's according to a letter written by Archbishop Paul Eddian. He says this, and this has been said, it's been coming for a long time, Reverend J. DeFalco of Holy Cross, in the Loxloy area between Lake Stevens and Granite Falls, told the Everett Herald. Why the move to parish families is being made? Well, the Catholic Church has been documenting declining numbers for some time. The Archdiocese found mass attendance dropped 15, over 15% 15 between 1999 and 2018, similar with these numbers. Meanwhile, the numbers cited, and this is what is really indicting, in this same piece, the same article, that Western Washington's population from 1999 until 2018 has grown by over 28%. So by 28% more people are living in western Washington, and yet church attendance has gone down 20%. Obviously, this has a financial impact, which I find fascinating, because I'm not Catholic. I've learned more about the Catholic Church when I had a four-hour conversation with your late husband. We went to Wrigley Field. He was a former Catholic, and he was turned off by the Catholic faith. You want to know why he was turned off? 
their constant haggling for his tithe, for his money. I mean, they, I, I was told, I don't know if they still do this, I mean, they really guilt you, pressure you. If you don't give, they make you feel guilty about it and so on. And so there's a reason why the Catholic churches are these big buildings, because they typically have what? Money. Now they don't have as much. And so they listen to this. Looking at some financials, the organization also reported 64%, that's almost two-thirds, of parishes were operating at a deficit. In summary of its 2023 report, the Archdiocese stated that pastoral resources are declining. In the current structure of parishes and pastors, it's not sustainable. Now, if you put the pieces of the puzzle together, it doesn't represent a hopeful picture or the future of the church. Adam Gabbett wrote this article titled, Losing Their Religion. This is the last article I'll mention here as we close this sermon. It's called, Losing Their Religion, Why U.S. Churches Are on the Decline. And it was dated January of last year. It says, churches are closing at rapid numbers in the United States, these churches say. As congregations dwindle across the country and a younger generation of Americans abandon Christianity altogether, even as faith continues to dominate American politics. About 4,500 Protestant churches closed in 2019, with about 3,000 new churches opening. That's according to Pew Research, which is done by Lifeway Research. Um, but while COVID-19, excuse me, it's just that's by Lifeway Research, but while COVID-19 may have accelerated the decline, there is a broader, this is a key thing, long-running trend of people moving away from religion. In 2017, a Lifeway surveyed young adults between the ages of 18 to 22 who had attended church regularly for at least a year during high school, and they found that 7 of 10 have stopped attending church. 70%. I can tell you that the people that we gave as visitors, and not only this church, but I know for a fact because Don Tudor told me, Wes's church, Wes Newsom's church, is having the same thing. People that visit us are the older generation. Where's the younger generation? They're not coming. They are not coming. Since the 1990s, large numbers of Americans have left Christianity to join the growing ranks of U.S. adults who describe their religious identity as atheist, agnostic, or nothing in particular. And let me give you some perspective. This is taken from um, take, There Is No God, America's Most Atheist States. Here are the four states with the highest percentage of atheists. Here's the first one, which is ironic why we start on the East Coast. Why is that ironic? That's where America began, right? And it was a Christian nation. 8% of the population describes themselves as atheists. New Hampshire, 7%. Again, New York. East Coast. Guess which state is next? Washington at 5%. 8 million people, roughly. That's roughly 400,000 people claim to be atheists. So we are up there with the most pagan states in the East Coast, even beating California, the land of fruits and nuts. Okay? I want to just close this sermon by finishing the article I mentioned earlier from Adam Gabbett, titled Losing Their Religion. And this is 
<coughs> really disturbing. It says, this accelerating trend is reshaping the U.S. religious landscape. In 1972, 90% of Americans said they were Christian. Uh, this is from a Pew report. But by 2070, that number will drop to below 50%. And the number of religiously unaffiliated Americans, or what we call, some have said nuns, religious nuns, N-O-N-E-S, will probably outnumber those adhering to Christianity. In translation, American will no longer be considered a Christian nation. But what is the church to do? Well, it's right here. Well, I'll just, I forgot to put the verse up there. Matthew 16, 18. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. It seems a little unrealistic given our current circumstances, right? But God says this, in the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And so it's very clear application. I want you to pray for this verse. Memorize it. It's familiar. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. There is still hope for the church. Okay? But there are some serious changes that need to take place. Would you stand with me? We're going to close with a song this morning. Lord, we need a, a, a better understanding of what is the church. This is why we're doing this sermon series. So please educate us and teach us and do your work within us so that we may change if necessary at, at your, the leading of the Holy Spirit what it is we do and how we think and how we pray about the church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can now clap, I'm done.